today we're going to go on a journey millions of years. And, and I know it's tough to sometimes wrap our heads around that, but stick with me. We need to go back about 65 million years ago. I mean, obviously the planet Earth was, was a very, very different place. You, here you had a, a massive dinosaur, everybody's favorite or not favorite, but Tyrannosaurus rex. Very popular in, in culture, you know, the, the movies, you, you see it. But we also had flying reptiles, swimming reptiles. You had all these fantastical creatures walking around the planet. And then, bam, something tragic and massive happened that changed the trajectory of Earth. So in the last episode, we were talking about how important horses were. This fifth mass extinction caused by an asteroid estimated to be six miles wide or 10 kilometers hit the planet near modern-day Mexico or the Yucatan Peninsula. It changed the history of the planet. Many species died out that day. Uh, over the weeks, over the next thousand years, dinosaurs went extinct. Overall, 76 of all species went extinct uh, with this mass extinction. Yet, life survived. Some species, like our early ancestors, <laughs> going way back, but early mammals survived in, in caves or underground areas that were protected from this superheated atmosphere that happened right after it. Uh, the asteroid struck all around the planet. There was a lack of food. Uh, so, you know, plant life died off. So how these animals survived is, you know, baffling scientists today. And, and many scientists are studying this. But it took thousands and thousands of years for the Earth to recover. But gone were the large dinosaurs, large reptiles, these, these large animals that were suppressing mammals. This was the turn from the age of dinosaurs to the age of mammals. It took about 10 million years after that big asteroid to hit for mammals to diverge out. And this is where a small creature, not much bigger than, a, I'd say, a small border collie, only stood about 12 inches or 60 centimeters at its shoulder, emerged. And it is what we call today Eohippus, the first horse or the dawn horse. We're going to talk about how this, this small woodland creature who browsed on trees and got leaves and branches and lived in these dense forests became these massive large beasts that we know today of Equus that roams the plains eating grass. And so we're going to look at what the science tells us, how they did it, why we know they did it, and why it matters today. In this podcast, we're going to talk about a lot of people question, why do I even need to know that? Well, the evolution of the horse is important because it, it really tells us a lot on, on why they are the way they are. Why domestic horses eat grass, you know, hindgut fermenters, why? Why do they behave the way they do? Why, what's up with the single hoof? How did we get there? This also is, is true of the donkeys and wild asses, Przewalski horses, zebras. Evolution has driven them to be who they are today. And we're going to tell that story now. And Secretariat being led, he is numbering... The horse. And the horse is the best thing in the world, isn't it? 
Saxophone's one's always, I've always loved them, really, ever since I was a little girl. Everybody's in line, and they're off. The secretary of the way very well has good position. The love. Oh, I never thought owning a horse could mean so much to me. Secretary not taking the lead. The madness. What kind of a horse is that? Their story. Mustang is more involved in the, in the early development of this breed than I thought they were, but they were. Welcome to Mad About Horses. Anytime we study evolution, it's such a difficult concept to wrap our heads around, I think. You know, eternity, time, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, we, you know, for me personally, but I'm, I'm probably for you too, you, you can put a year into perspective, a, a day. Then you go a decade. Well, as we get older, like, you know, some of us, we can start putting decades into perspective and look Look at the last 10 years of our lives. But then we start talking about hundreds of years, thousands of years, millions of years. It really hurts our brain. It really does. And, it, and, it, and it's not something that's tangible. Evolution is just not something that's tangible. So today I'm going to try to put some of that in perspective and make it tangible for you so you can kind of follow in lockstep how this process happens. So before we get going specifically on the horse, I think there's some key concepts that are important to cover and talk about, like what is evolution? How do fossils form? And then why do we find so many fossils of ancient horses more than any other species? For the last 160, 70, 80 years, the horse has been one of the species that scientists have pointed at and said, aha, there is proof of evolution. So we're going to talk about that, what, what it means and, and how we got there. Now, evolution could be its own podcast in itself, uh, talking about this day, week in, week out. But uh, to, to briefly cover this quickly, you know, we are complex living organisms. Horses are complex living organisms made up of DNA, our genetics that has changed medicine for us today. It's, it's changing the, the concept of science and how we understand science. And it's a very complex area. I've, I've done some research in that area. I, I'm, I'm behind because the, the field changes so rapidly and we're making so many advancements, which is good for us uh, in our own health. But it all starts with the DNA. That's your blueprint. It's the directions of who we are. It's the recipe that makes us from A to Z or hair color how tall we are, all of those things are from our DNA. Now, DNA mutates naturally. So evolution is taking place over millions of years, and so you're getting this natural DNA mutation that alters the animal. So very broadly, each of us has 42 genetic mutations from our parents. Now, that's out of 3.2 billion pieces of genetic code. It's not 42, it's nothing. But generation after generation over thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, those add up to changes. So our DNA is changing and 
the DNA of mammals has changed over these millions of years. So what drives some of these changes? Again, this is a very brief overview of some of the things that are causing evolution, but it's, it's natural selection. Uh, the environment changes. The, the planet does go through periods of, of cooling and warming of the earth. Just 11,000 plus years ago, we came out of an ice age that affected our history. Now that's different from climate change, not even going to touch that topic in this podcast, but it, there is climatic shifts that we see drives the evolution of the horse, change the horse dramatically, and it leads to extinctions like mammoths. You know, there's one that, that went extinct about, you know, 10, 11,000 years ago. Now, I think I could put this a little bit in perspective. We do see an evolution-like event in real time. And we see it in things like antibiotic resistance, or even if you're a horse owner, in our anthelmintics, or what our dewormers are, to treat parasites or worms, we're seeing resistance there. And you can kind of compare evolution in real time where we go and, and, and let's say we treat an animal for worms. And rarely is it 100% effective. So let's say it's 99% effective. We kill off 99% of the worms. But there's 1% in there that has a genetic mutation that allows it to survive that medicine. So the next time we treat, or the next time, or the next time, it goes up to 2%, then 4%, then 10%, then 50%. Over time, and this is happening quickly over a period of, of, of years, not thousands of years, we're seeing that the medicines we're giving animals are becoming less effective because of genetic mutations in the, the bugs we're treating. So that's very broad and, and, and just kind of a big picture look at things. And we're seeing it in antibiotic resistance too. So uh, with our antibiotics, we know there's some pathogens out there that are resistant and they're becoming more resistant to antibiotics. So scientists are trying to create new ones and trying to stay ahead of the, the arms race with, with the bugs so uh, we can stay healthy. So you can kind of see that in, in, a, in a quick real time. But, you know, when you start to expand that out over mammals over millions of years, you can see where little, little mutations, little, little advantages eked out and certain species were able to outrun a predator a little bit faster or digest food just that much better that allowed them to survive a little bit longer so they could spread their genetics. Now, the other piece of this puzzle is fossils. Not my field of expertise, but, but have uh, taken some classes on this just as an as a interest on the side. And the field of science is paleontology. So it's studied by paleontologists. So Dr. Grant from Jurassic Park was a paleontologist. Fossils are, are made by a variety of methods. And again, just to, 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 to tie this up quickly, there's different ways they, they are, fossils can be made. But one of the more common one is, you know, let's say uh, an early horse dies. Now, normally, let's say on the plains of, of North America, because that's where horses evolved, you're going to learn that here in a minute, 
scavengers will come and, and eat the carcass, spread the bones, and, and even b- some birds we know eat bones. Other animals, carnivores, eat bones. So the, the body is, is recycled into the environment. Well, with fossils, in, in, in one way, one is called permineralization. Permineralization is the, the dead animal or, de, or decaying animal gets covered with sediment, so like mud in a near stream or a riverbed. Or, you know, for those in Southern California, the La Brea tar pits, we do see that. Animals get stuck in that and then get covered up. And then they're finding tons of fossils in those tar pits. So the soft tissue will decompose, leaving the bones behind. Now, in permineralization, minerals will fill up the spaces of bone. So the, the fossils recover is actually rock. It's not the actual bone. And that is a process of fossilization. That, now, there is other types of fossilization that we do get tissues. Like, again, I just use Jurassic Park because it's 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 popular uh, movie, but the the amber with the mosquito. We have gotten feathers, uh, other types of insects in amber. It's very, very rare, but there is uh, uh, some tissue has been preserved. And there actually has been some studies where I think they've gotten some, some proteins off a of T-Rex in some sort of preserved rock. But again, my, not my area of expertise. Anyways. With these early horses, we do have a lot of fossils. So that's why we're able to, to show a process of evolution in them. Now, there's other factors, you know, why the horse. And the horse has been evolving for over 55 million years, from Eohippus, the dawn horse, all the way to what we have today. Now, there's some of the reasons is because, like I said earlier, the horse evolved in North America. Then they spread out, uh, this was a few million years ago, into Asia, then down into Africa. Now, in North America, we have a lot of fossils. And some of the reasons is we have many paleontologists in the United States, but also the the United States is covered in, in many dry and arid regions that make fossil hunting easier. So if you imagine trying to go into a tropical rainforest, you're not going to find a lot of fossils, you know, it's just the, the, the shrubbery and trees and everything's too dense, but in these arid regions, so North America, and then pl- places like the Gobi Desert in, in China and Mongolia, we're finding lots of fossils. Australia, uh, down there in some of their arid regions, they're finding lots of fossils. But with the horse, we have, t- we have tons of fossils in North America. And then they are finding fossils around the world now in some of the other species. Now, one of the things in, in this podcast I would like to do is, 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 is pull out some of the scientific literature and just kind of what, what does science tell us? And one of the earliest published papers on horse evolution was dated in 1926. So that's almost 100 years as we record this podcast today in 2023. And it's what we call in science a classical paper. And it's, it's what is so interesting about this paper is much of what was published has held up to scrutiny over the last hundred years. So this was published in April 1926 in the Quarterly Review of Biology. And the title is The Evolution of the Horse, a Record in Its Interpretation. It was by W.D. Matthew, and he was working at the American Museum of Natural History. Now, I want to quote him. 
He states, The geological record of the ancestry of the horse is one of the classic examples of evolution. For this, there are several reasons. First, now remember, this is back in 1926. Okay, back to the quote. First, the horse is a familiar animal. Everybody knows what it is like, its habits, and it's interested in learning how it got that way. Second, its fossil record is the most complete among the larger animals. And third, the outstanding changes in teeth and skeleton are obvious and easy to specify, and it's not difficult to understand their significance in animal mechanics and adaptation. So what makes the horse a classical representation is in their bones. And we're going to talk about how the Eohippus had four toes on its front feet and three toes on its back feet to now what we have the single hoof today. And I'm going to take you on that journey and how we got there. But let's go back 55 million years ago. And, and this is a period called the Eocene. And it lasts from 56 million years ago up to 34, 33.9 million years ago. This is a time of the planet where there, there, there's very little ice. It is very different from what it is today. It's very hot and humid. The continents, if you look at them, are, are pretty much in their current positions. There's some continental drift. But if you look at parts of Asia and Europe, there's, there's many big seas and lakes. So it's, it's not exactly what it looks like today. But you do have North America and South America, but not yet connected. Uh, Australia is migrating up from Antarctica. Uh, India is coming up into Asia. So it, it doesn't look quite like it does today, but familiar. You would recognize it on a map. Now, during this hot and humid period, much of the landmass is covered in, in tropical forests or semi-tropical forests. So not any great plains or deserts or anything like that, especially in North America where it's very tropical-like, very dense forests. And this is where Eohippus emerge. This is where the earliest relative of the horse came from. And again, we call that the Dawn Horse, and it was first discovered in, in 1876. Now, this animal was built to survive in the, in, the, in the deep forests of North America. Like I said earlier, it only stood maybe 12 inches at the shoulder or 30 centimeters three toes on the back feet, four toes on the front feet, ranged in weight anywhere from 12 to 60 pounds or five to 30 kilograms. It, there's different variations of, of Eohippus. This is the, the genus. So there are other species or maybe even subspecies, but all generally the, very, very similar in physiology. Its teeth and skull structure are similar to modern day horses, obviously smaller but the structure of the, the tooth itself will change much over time because this animal is thought to have been a frugivore. So it's eating fruits, nuts, seeds, roots, shoots, maybe browsing a little bit, uh, but not what you think of today's horses being grazers where they just eat grass all day, right? This is a, a, a little animal in the forest eking out survival. Now, the other important part of driver of evolution is, is the predators of the age. So Eohippus being a, a, a small animal, there was obviously large predators out there that, that could eat them, 
right? There was bear dogs or mesonyx. There's all these different crazy looking predators of the age. So Eohippus has to evolve to survive predation or as the environment changes, as you'll see, it's either evolve or die because you're going to run out of places to hide and these large predators will get you. So that that's always a thing to keep in the back of your mind. Now, one of the reasons the horse is looked at is because we see these changes in their legs. So over time, these four toes are going to go to three toes to one toe. Where today, the splint bones in horses, if, if, if people know what that is, but on the outer part of the cannon bone is the second metacarpal and the fourth metacarpal. Those are remnants of these toes from Eohippus. And over time, we're going to see in different versions of early equids or early horses that those toes will start migrating up the leg where they barely have any function to where they, they have no function whatsoever. And we get to the single hooked horse. The other one is the teeth. As I said, as diets change, the teeth needed to change. So there's been a, a a very good paper, Dietary Change and Evolution of Horses in North America, that was published a little bit over 10 years ago. And here you have dentists and the American Museum of Natural History working together to talk about the changes in their teeth and how in this study they looked at the crown molars, how the shorter crown molars we see in Eohippus was for like a softer diet, you know, fruit, seeds, things like that, where today, Horses have very high crowned molars uh, for anybody that's dealt with an equine dentist. And we'll talk about the horse's teeth in a future episode. But they're built for tougher diets. You know, as they graze, they pick up some grit and dirt and dust, and that wears down the teeth over time. So if they didn't have these high crowned molars, they would lose their teeth and starve, right? They couldn't eat. So over time, we see that change. So these are just some of the things that the, the teeth, the skull size and shape, the feet, they all weave into the story of the evolution of the horse. Now, one thing to remember is, is the horse, it's, it's not linear. There's not just one version, the next version, the next, the next, the next. There's many species of, of horses that branch out. Some make it, some don't. They go extinct. Uh, it's, it's As we navigate this journey, I'm going to bring up some examples, but just know that there was there was all sorts of, of hundreds of species of, of different horses over the last 50 million years that have evolved. It just many of them went extinct to where today we're kind of the, the, the tail end with Equus, uh, with the, uh, the species we have of zebra, Brzezolski horse, the wild asses, and uh, the horses. And just to give you an example that, that is us, let's take it to Homo sapiens, uh, 50,000 years ago, there was another human-like species, and you may know him as Neanderthal, Homo neanderthalensis. And then there was also another hominid human species, Homo floresiensis. These were actually nicknamed the hobbits, <laughs> so uh, a, a smaller-sized uh, human in Asia. But they went extinct. Uh, they were branches on our own family tree, and Homo sapiens became the dominant species and, and that we are today. Now, I just want to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and, and kind of jump on this timeline, 
talk about some some different three-toed horses till we get to the the single-toed horses. So we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Now I'm going to jump a little ahead in this timeline because uh, you can spend hours and hours talking about this. We're going to jump to the Oligocene. This is 33.9 million years ago to 23 million years ago. And this is where we start to see some massive changes going on around the planet. It is becoming more arid. So the semi-tropical forests of North America are starting to give ground to wide grasslands. So your tropical forests are, are pretty much where we see them today around the equator. So there's a massive time of transition. Here you had Eohippus, this dawn horse, living comfortably in a forest environment, successful for millions of years. But now as the earth changes, like I said, these forests are receding, grasslands are coming out, and the animal who lives in the forest must evolve or risk extinction. So we do see some transition uh, species before I get to the next one. Orohippus, 50 million years ago. Epihippus, 47 million years ago. We do know that their teeth are getting better at grinding, so their diets are changing to where we get to Mesohippus, which is a classical example uh, for horse evolution. And again, it's living roughly about 35 million years ago. These are the ones that might be creeping a little bit around the forest, but they are out on the grasslands. Uh, not anywhere close to the tall horses we see today. Again, uh, 24 inches or two feet at the shoulder. That's roughly 60 centimeters. So mini pony or medium-sized dogs. Diff- you know, that, that's what you're looking at with, with mesohippus. What's interesting about mesohippus and why it's classical is because we've gone from these four toes to these three toes. So it has a larger middle toe that eventually becomes the single toed horse we see today. The two outer toes do have function. They do help support the weight. So it might've given this mesohippus, you know, ability to run. So evade a predator, because remember, it, it, it doesn't have the force to hide it anymore. It's out on the grasslands. So a four-toed eohippus or earlier version of mesohippus might not have been able to run as quickly or as well versus the single toed. And their legs are a little bit longer, so there are some advantages there. What we know, if I go back to that dietary change and evolution of horses in North America, uh, Milbacher and others, Milbacher said, I quote, during the Eocene and Oligocene, horses acquire shearing lofts on their molars, suggesting a shift towards leafy browsing. So here we go from the frugivores, the nuts, the fruits, to more of a browser and probably nibbling on some grass. So the digestive system of the horse is changing to one of uh, fruits and stuff to being able to digest these fibrous feeds that we see horses eat today. So again, much in transition. We don't obviously have any examples of their digestive systems. Those don't fossilize, but we can guess that, yes, they're probably transitioning to what we see today. Now we're going to jump some, some more in the timeline and go to the Miocene. Again, multiple branches of the horse tree, some are dying off, some are continuing on, living side by side. 
you had things like myohippus that died out 18 million years ago to hyohippus who died out 10 million years ago to nanny hippus a three-toed horse who died 1.8 million years ago so hundreds of extinct species of of the early equids till we get to the one i like to marry chippus this is called the proto horse it very much resembles uh, a horse and it lived about 15 million up to 5 million years ago so when you look at the skeletons and the skulls you would say okay that looks like a horse right but it's still three-toed the thing is when you go from mesohippus to merychippus you see those toes have receded further so those two outer toes have gone up further up the leg you get a more heavier front middle toe so it looks like a a one single long hooved digit and the two outer toes could support weight when they were running but that was about it so eventually those are going to go away and become the splint bones that we see today and if you really think about it the forests have given way to the grasslands the plains so when we think about the great plains of north america these animals have not been to Asia yet, the ground's hard. So you need limbs that can support that, that can outrun predators and survive. Now, when you look at the earth, then it's very much looking like what we see today. 20 million years ago, uh, the continents look pretty similar to what we see today. I will say North and South America are still separated. And there has been no land bridge from North America to Asia yet, but we'll get there. Now, Mary Chippus is getting taller. So we're seeing Eohippus 12 inches, Mesohippus 24 inches. Here we have a 36 inch tall horse at the withers at their shoulder. It's about 90 centimeters. So they're getting bigger. The teeth are changing, more high crowned. So again, they went from the soft diets to these grass and, and grinding diets that we see today. So uh, the scientists or the, the paleontologists believe that the diet of a Merychippus was very much mixed of grass and probably browsing, you know, leaves, twigs, things like that. So it was a mix of that. What's interesting too is this was like the Miocene was when horses diverged all over the place. There were so many different species and types of horses or early horses that went extinct. And it was along this tree with Mary Chippis that we eventually get to where we are today. The final one I want to cover before I get to Equus is Dinohippus. And, and here we finally get to a single-toed horse. And this was the, the earliest species that uh, went from three toes to one toe. So we're here died out about 3.6 million years ago, but this is the one that gives rise to Equus and our modern day versions of, of what we have today. Stood upwards of 60 inches at the shoulder, one and a half meters, just about a pony size or slightly larger. So we're getting to these large herbivores, grazers that we see today because Dinohippus is thought to have been one that just grazed on the plains. So probably digestive system, everything else very similar to modern day equids. And it's, what's really interesting about Dinohippus, and then they, they, they note this in the literature, is that this is the first version of the horse that has a stay apparatus. And what that means is whenever you, can, you see horses kind of dozing, and they can lock their legs and sleep standing up. 
So this meant that it was a large herbivore that they could lock their legs, doze for a little bit without falling over. And it gives them a huge advantage in escaping predators versus animals that lay down and then have to get up and run. So that is always interesting that they had that uh, mechanism built in. Now, all of that leads us to the modern day genre or genus of equus. And our oldest fossils of equus date back about three and a half million years ago. It's known as the Hagerman's horse because it was found in Hagerman, Idaho. Thought equus emerged four plus million years ago. We're going to talk about this more in our next episode uh, because this is our modern day equids. So here we are three and a half, four million years ago. We have this early species of equus. And in North America, not yet radiating out to the rest of the world. And we're going to talk about this story next about how this early, early ancestor became the plain zebra, the grevy zebra, the mountain zebra, African wild asses, Asiatic wild asses, Przewalski horses, then the the original wild horses, and then today, today what we got Equus cabalis and our donkeys. So we're going to tell that story in our next episode, so stay tuned. Hey, this is Chris. Just some housekeeping. I really hope you enjoyed the, the episode on, on the evolution of the horse. That was a very quick 30-minute explanation. This is something that people have dedicated their entire lives studying. So I, I, I do want to apologize to any equid uh, paleontologist. If I got anything wrong, please email me at podcast at madbarn.com. Just trying to go in the literature and understand your field of expertise. It's fascinating. The history of the horse is fascinating. And as, a, as an equid physiologist and scientist, it really gives me a deep appreciation for where these animals are today and why they are the, the way they are today because you go back in their evolutionary history and you can see the alterations that drove them to change to where we have them very successful, have been very successful in the world, uh, surviving and thriving. So we're going to tell that story here coming up. Again, if you if you want to uh, stay abreast of any future announcements, uh, not just about the podcast, but about other educational opportunities or, or outreach that we're working on, you can go to our website, madbarn.com. Again, currently lots of articles related to equine nutrition and health. And we're also going to be uh, working on some other things that we will make some announcements when they're, when they're coming out. You can also find us on social media, uh, Instagram at madbarnequine, Facebook, at, you can search for madbarn, LinkedIn, you can search for madbarn. And please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Uh, We appreciate it. Uh, We're going to continue to build this following week in, week out. Tell this story. And and we had to start at the very, 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 very beginning. And over the next few weeks, we're going to tell more of their story about how we got to where we are today, where you find horses in the world. And then we're going to start getting into some of the things that just what makes a horse a horse. Don't forget, these are your very best friends. These are humanity's best friends. They deserve the attention and the love that we give them, so stay tuned.